0: Morning, church. First off, can we give the choir a round of applause? If you haven't figured it out by now, welcome to our Christmas service of the New York City Church of Christ. Uh, My name is Gene Laguerre. I have the privilege of bringing the message to you tonight um, and, well, today. And the community, do not worry. If you're visiting, it will not last to the night, I promise you. but this is a special service. This is the service where we remember um, Jesus. For uh, some of us, uh, welcome back from last year. Uh, and we promised to make this uh, as short as possible, but uh, we are going to try to make it uh, meaningful as well. Uh, so first, let's kick it off with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father God, thank you for just giving giving us Jesus, Father. Thank you for the sacrifice, Father. Thank you for considering us, Father, and giving your greatest prize to us. Father, I pray that my words be your words as we reflect on this gift you've given us, Father. I pray that we can always strive to be closer to you because of this gift that you've given us. Father, uh, let your words be my words. I pray that you bless this time together. In Jesus' name I pray, God. Amen. So Christmas is, is a time of the year where it brings up a lot of feelings for individuals. Um, Some feelings great, some feelings not so great, right? But every time you think about Christmas, there are specific images that come to your mind when you think about the joy of Christmas. And it kind of looks like this next slide here, right? You think about the presents wrapped under the tree, right? Bringing your kids to see Santa, the kids all joyful, right? Families getting together, eating a meal, being unified in spirit and remembering you know, the, the, the spirit of giving and brotherly love. But for some of us, Christmas creates these images. Fighting for the gift and the TV you want on Black Friday. Your child screaming their mind off because they don't know why you just put them in front of this weird man that they've never heard of, and you trying to get the thing for yourself, and somebody else trying to get the same gift, right? At the same time as Christmas can give and produce feelings of great joy, in all seriousness, it can produce some very strong emotional feelings as well, right? This is around the time where we remember some of our loved ones who have passed. This is the time where those of us who are going through some things, it gets a bit more stressful. It feels a little bit heavier during the holidays. Right. And with all those things going on, right, that combination of good feelings and bad feelings, that conflict going back and forth, it becomes very easy to lose sight of the actual point of the holiday in the first place. Right. As we're going through the hustle and bustle, as we're trying to make it through day to day, it gets very easy to focus on that stuff and lose sight of the reason this holiday exists, which is Jesus Christ. Now, I think a big part of that uh, is the way Christmas is celebrated. Personally, I feel that Christmas kind of shortchanges Jesus a bit um, for a couple of reasons. I think the biggest one is uh, Christmas is traditionally the celebration of Jesus's birth. Now, I know the, the biblical scholars in the room will probably raise their hand saying, well, technically, he was probably not born on December 25th. Yes, that's true. We can talk about that afterwards. But the fact of the matter is this is the day we choose to celebrate the birth of Jesus. But that said, celebrating Jesus just for the birth is like celebrating a present just for the wrapping. It's a lot deeper. There's more to Jesus than a baby lying in a manger. Right? The significance of Jesus goes beyond just the virgin birth and it goes into his life, right? His life is really what we're celebrating, right? The reason why we celebrate. Now, to understand that I'm going to put it in context, right? Because it's easy to get things in context, in worldly context. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to present Jesus as the world's greatest gift. I'm going to argue that the greatest gift we've ever gotten is Jesus. Now, for those of you who are still about to do your Christmas shopping, literally in the next 48 hours, this will also help you because I'm going to give you some pointers on how to give a good gift, and I'm going to compare that great gift to the gift of Jesus. So the first thing a gift should be is useful. Right. A gift should be useful to the person receiving it. Right. So word of advice, do not give a set of steak knives to your vegan friend. They will not use it. Right. It needs to be something that they can actually use. Secondly, the gift must be personal. Right. It must reflect the person that you're giving it to. Right. I got a great gift uh, a few days ago, unexpectedly, um, for a gift card from one of my favorite stores, the the golf store. and I'm going to leave the brother out to give it. But thank you so much. Um, but it was great because it was personal. Right. They knew me. They knew what I like to do. And they gave me a gift that was uh, kind of consistent with my interest in what I like to do. Right. That shows that they care. The next thing is the gift should be something the receiver would want, but they would feel guilty about buying it them, for themselves. Right. Those things that they know they want, but they'd feel bad. I shouldn't splurge on that one thing. But if you give it to me, I'll take it. I mean, I'm not going to send it back if you give it to me. But I'm, I don't feel right just going out and getting it, you know. And the last thing, and probably the most important, the gift should be something that you use so that you'll always remember the person who gave it to you cared about you. Now, if you look at these criteria, this is, these, are, uh, these are criteria that actually take time to develop right? You can't create a gift and think of a, way, a gift willy-nilly, right? You have to actually think about and focus on the person you're giving the gift to, right? You can tell if it's, uh, a gift is kind of half-hearted, right? And just, we'll, we'll throw something in there and hopefully everyone will like it, right? Visa gift card. Works for everybody, right? But the fact of the matter is a, a real gift, a great gift, really focuses in on who the person is and is individualized for that individual. So, we're going to go through God's process for gift-giving, and we're going to go through how Jesus' birth was planned, right? Over 20 generations of birth had to happen in sequence for Jesus to come here. In fact, they spent about 2,000 years, God spent 2,000 years speaking through his prophets, preparing him for the gift he was going to give. Talk about foreshadowing. 2,000 years telling you, I'm going to give you a gift, right? All the way back 2,000 years ago, Jacob in Genesis talked about the scepter not departing from Judah to the one whom it belongs comes, talking about the lineage that Jesus would come from, right? 1,500 years before Jesus, Moses told them that a prophet like him would come from among them, right? Later on, 1,000 years before Jesus, David prophesied that his Lord would be seated at the right hand of God, Right? Moving forward, Isaiah, around uh, 700 years before Jesus, talked about how Jesus would be pierced for our transgressions and that a child would be born. Ma- going all the way forward to Malachi, who about three to 400 years before uh, predicted that the son of righteousness would come. All told, there were over 400 prophecies about Jesus. Now, why were the prophets so focused on one person? Why did they spend... Prophecy after prophecy after prophecy over 2,000 years to talk about one prophet. There were plenty of prophets between then and Jesus' time, but the significance of Jesus is what he did. Up until now, every other prophet came in, got instructions from Jesus, right, and then went off and did whatever Jesus told them, and then kind of had their own issues to deal with while they were trying to help other people, right? The difference between Jesus and And the other prophets is jesus was the only person who had the entire puzzle solved because he came from where the life was made right jesus wasn't just some other prophet right he came from the source right it's very different getting a message from someone who's just passing a message along and getting a message from the creator of the message themselves right now some of you who have siblings um know how it feels to send a message that comes from mom right You you tend to shift it a little. You tend to embellish a little, especially because you feel that power, right? But it's very different when you're hearing that message from your parent. It comes in a different, there's a different power to it, right? In the same way, Jesus coming in had a different power. And the second reason why Jesus' message was so powerful was because of the concept of sacrifice. Up until this time, there was a sequence that went around every single time someone ended up dealing with their own sin. You sinned. You found a lamb, a bull, or a goat, or some other animal. You killed it and paid for your sin with that animal's blood. Right? Every time you went through something, you did something. There, a price had to be paid. Right? You had to suffer. You had to make amends for the sin that you committed. Think of it this way. Eye for an eye. You took someone's eye, guess what? You lost your eye. Now, you took a tooth, you lost a tooth. That's how it worked up until then. And those rules, that opportunity was only afforded to you if you happened to be in the Jewish lineage or lucky enough to kind of convert into Judaism. Everyone else, you just don't have a chance. That was life before Jesus. Right? So basically, the cost for your sin was whatever you could afford to give. Now... Fast forward over and turn with me to John chapter 10. And this is where Jesus turns everything on its head. Let me know when you get to John chapter 10. We'll kick it off. When you guys are there, we can say amen and we can kick off. All right. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So the first thing Jesus establishes that I'm not like every other prophet. right? People did not listen to the other prophets, but you're going to listen to me because I am from the father. right? And I'm coming to give you life. And have it to the full. So we've already fulfilled one criteria for good gift giving. He's giving us a gift that will be useful day in and day out forever. right? So he's already covered that. But the big question was, how is he going to be able to do this? So fast forward to John, John 10 in the same chapter. Uh, read verses 14 through 18 with me. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. This command I received from my father. So let's dissect this a little bit. right? Earlier I talked about the fact that when you sinned, you gave up a sheep. So it stands to reason that folks in Israel had sheep. They made sure you had a sheep, a bull, or a loaf of bread around just in case you sinned. You needed something to give. right? And they were there for them to sacrifice when they did something wrong. Jesus came in and took it. And put it on its head. He said, I am the shepherd. You're the sheep. But instead of sacrificing you, I'm going to sacrifice myself for the sheep. Jesus did the exact opposite. Everyone up until now has been sacrificing the sheep for their own sin. Jesus, who had no sin, sacrificed himself for us. That is what allowed him to offer us life to the full. That's what allowed him to reach out to all the other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. And, uh, spoiler alert, that's all of us. Right? That allowed him to reach out, not just to the Jewish nation, but to all nations, to bring us all together, to do what governments couldn't do, to do what charities couldn't do, what no one else could do, Jesus could do, through his sacrifice. Because he was the only one who had the authority to lay down his life and the willingness to do it. That's what sets him apart from all the other prophets and all the other gifts that can be given. Now, just to put some context, because the challenging part comes next, but just to set our hearts in the right place here, I'm going to ask you guys to do something. I'm going to apologize in advance. It will be uncomfortable. Uh, Bear with me, and I apologize up front. Close your eyes. Now, take a minute to imagine... The worst thing you've ever done. Not the worst thing someone next to you did, what you've done. Just make that clear. Now think about this. God, who exists outside of time, saw that and sent Jesus anyway. Jesus saw that and walked to the cross anyway. Open your eyes. In the Bible, Jesus says that I take up my life only to give it up again of my own accord. Jesus highlights the fact that he knew what happened. And if you have questions about that, you can read in John where Jesus starts predicting what people will do before they do it, especially to Peter, to highlight the fact that he can see the sins before it happens. But despite that, he chose to go to his death anyway, not because we deserved it but because of how great his love was for us. So as we review that, let's go back to the criteria for a great gift. Criteria number one, if we can go to that slide. The gift must be useful. Jesus offers us salvation and the chance for eternal life. Criteria number two, it must be personal. Jesus, as we just elaborated on, died for our individual sin. Not just that general term, he died for all. No, he died for your sin. He died for my sin, individually. Next, the gift should be something the receiver would feel guilty about buying themselves. We didn't have a chance to buy our own uh, salvation. I don't think there are enough sheep to buy for me to pay for all the sins I've committed in the last year alone. I'm like, what do I buy? There aren't enough. Jesus paid the price, not that we would feel guilty about buying. Jesus went beyond that. He went and bought the thing that we couldn't afford at all. The next one, a good gift is something that will remind you that the person cares, right? This is why we take communion, to remember the fact that Jesus cared. He wanted us to be able to remember how much he loves us. He wanted us to reflect on the sacrifice he made, Not as a source of guilt, but something that will inspire us to continue to love Him. You know, it's easy to forget a gift. Remember, who remembers the gift that they got in 2013? One hand came up. Two. Wait, we got three hands. Right? Jesus wanted to make sure that we remember His love over and over again. That's why He gave us the communion, that's why He gave us His Holy Spirit. So we could remember how much he cares about us. Now, with any gift, there's a way to use it and the way not to use it. But off the back of knowing this, now that we've established, and to be, let me ask the question: Have we established Jesus as the greatest gift yet? Or? All right. So now that we're there, the next question is: Well, what's the cost? What should we do? Right? Because something like this merits a response. And Jesus' expectation is summed up in one chapter, or in one verse. Uh, Turn with me to Matthew chapter 22. Are we doing all right? I'm sorry, I hope I didn't depress you with that last example. Uh, Let me know when we're at. All right, so let's read. Hearing that Jesus has silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. All the Ten Commandments and condensed it into two main themes. And if you look through every other instruction in the Bible, they all somehow link into either loving God with all your heart or loving your neighbor as yourself. Now, this entails putting God above us, right? This entails putting God over our individual short-term goals, right? This entails Making sure that we're putting, we're thinking of others just as we think of ourselves, and I think one of the greatest ways we can do that, really, is to forgive one another. One of the hardest things to do, at least for me, is to let go of things, and uh, I'm going to be honest here. Especially at my job, I, I have a fairly stressful job with some very strong personalities. I don't know if you guys can relate to having strong personalities at your jobs. It may just be me. If it's me, I'm sorry. Um, But, yeah, we have some very opinionated folks at my job, and it takes time to to deal with them. And it's easy to to confuse the person with the sin, right? And and over time, you start to merge the two. Again, this is me confessing. I apologize. If you don't deal with this, wait for five minutes. I'll be done with this point. But I often have times confusing the person and the sin, and I tend to meld them together and lose sight of the fact that, wait, Number one, I I sin just like they do. And number two, the only difference between me and them is they know about God and, well, I know about God and they don't. Well, number one, there's a way for me to fix that. If I'm loving them, I should be inviting them out and helping them with that. But it also reminds me of the fact that I'm no better than them. I I just got lucky that someone said something to me. You know? You know? And that helps drive how I treat people, or at least as I try to treat people, as I work this out. Pray for me, folks. Uh, But that's the motivation for how I interact with people and how I make the decisions, or at least I try. And I think this is what God expects for us to try, right? But it all starts with establishing a relationship with him. And that can only start if you actually open the gift. Now, let me give you guys an analogy. If you can turn to the next slide. Imagine I gave you a gift, a brand new iPhone XS, straight out of the box. Now look under your seats. Sorry, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Sorry, I had an Oprah moment. I apologize. Uh, Imagine you got a brand new iPhone XS, right? And then two weeks later, I come to you and I ask you, hey, How's that phone going? How are you doing? How do you like it? Was it great? Are you having fun? Are you downloading apps? And then you tell me, well, actually, no, I'm kind of still using my old phone. It still kind of works, right? I mean, yeah, the screen's cracked, but if you squint really, really hard, you can kind of see who you're talking to. All right. Would that make any sense for me to have a brand new iPhone XS but still use my broken old Razor? This is how God feels when he remembers that he's offered Jesus and we don't take what he's offered. When we hold on to the old lifestyle we have, we hold on to those pocket pet sins and don't give it up for life to the full that he's trying to offer. Just as much as it doesn't make much sense to stay with that old raggedy phone and listen, I am guilty of. Uh, holding on to old raggedy phones as those of you who know and have made fun of me for years. When I get a phone, I (laughs) tend to... One of the guys who was making fun of me was like, yeah, I make fun of you. Uh, But the fact of the matter is, it, it makes just as much sense to do that and to hold on to not only the old sins, but the old grudges as well. Right? We're only hurting ourselves when we do that. Right? That's what God is trying to free us from. He's trying to free us from that old life. Because he knows it's not what's best for us. There's nothing in God's commands that don't help us in the end. He doesn't list out anything in his commands that don't lead to a better life. So it's, it's the ultimate win-win. right? The cost is something that gives back to you. The thing you have to give up, it's only the things that are hurting you in the first place. Right? In any sense of the word, that's why I've heard people say, well, God may not be fair. I'm like, yeah, he's not fair. I should be dead, and I'm not. And in return for him doing something that makes it so that I'm still alive, I have to do things that make my life even better. Right? That's, if anyone wants to think that there's, there's a lack of fairness, yeah, because we don't deserve the generosity God gave us. But because of his infinite love, he does it anyway. And all he asks is for us to love him and treat each other the way we'd like to be treated. And he emphasizes this a little bit more. Go to John chapter 13. We're going to start in verse 34. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another deal there is it's a conditional, right? One thing I was really convicted, um, very recently, those of you who know, um, I recently had surgery, um, and the surgery, I mean, technically went well, the recovery that first day, not so well. Um, uh, the doctors had not realized that the anesthesia had worn off a lot earlier than they had expected. Um, and they were like, yeah, you're fine. Just, just stand up. You Just stand up. And I was like, no, they were like, no, yeah, yeah, just, just stand up. I'm like, no, you stand up. <laughs> and then, of course, they said to stand up. And I tried. And then I, I quickly blacked out. Um, and I remembered coming to and saw my wife and then, like, kind of not blacked out but, like, phased out again. And then I woke up, and what did I see was Steve standing right beside my bed. Helping me to recover. That's love. That's what you get when everyone follows God. Imagine what your job would be if everyone had that heart for their co worker. Imagine what the train would be like if everyone loved their neighbor. Imagine what school would be like, teens. If everyone followed Jesus at your school, preteens oh, young teens in the back, imagine what it would be like if every time you went to school, everyone was trying to follow Jesus. Bullying would not exist, it would just not be a thing. A lot of, there are a lot of crusades that wouldn't even need to exist if everyone followed this one command. This was Jesus' vision for the entire world. And all it takes is us reaching out to our neighbors and our neighbors, and those of you visiting, hearing the call. God has a plan for you, and that plan started with Jesus. 2,000 years before you were on this earth, God had a plan to put you where you are now to have a better chance, just a chance, to get to know him. Guys, as we are about to pray for the bread and for the juice, um, let us remember, let's, let's take in the sacrifice that Jesus made for us and the amount of love it took for us to be given this level of forgiveness. And let it not just end with just a warm feeling, but let it call us to action. As you go back to your families and deal with some of the stress that will come with that, remember the grace that Jesus afforded to us as we deal with those cousins, uncles, aunts, and Special folks in our lives. <laughs> As you prepare to go back to, to work the next week, right, remember Jesus' grace. Right? As you deal with individuals and people on the street that may not love you back, remember one thing, and I'll, and I'll go back to this. Uh, and if you read John 13, if you go up further, Jesus washed Judas Iscariot's feet. Remember Jesus not just the baby in the manger, but the life of the Son of God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father God, we are humbled by your love. We are humbled that you chose to lay down your life for us. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for just giving us this love that surpasses all understanding. Father, I pray that You bless uh, this bread and this juice that we're about to partake, Father. I pray that we always remember you as we do it, Father. pray that we remember your love. pray that we remember your grace. And that in that remembrance, in that memory, Father, we are spurred on to continue to love you, Father, and live for you forever. Father, I praise you and I thank you. In Jesus' name I pray, God. Amen.